0: Hi, I'm Jason. I'm John. And I'm Marquis. And this is Just Just Getting Getting By, a free talk forum about the creative process and the wounds that hold us back from achieving our goals. Each week, building a roadmap through dialogue with working and struggling artists about how to better manifest a successful show business career.
1: Hi everyone, it's John. This week we spoke to Summer Minerva. Summer spoke to us about growing up queer in Staten Island and her practice as a performance artist, anthropologist, and documentarian. She also spoke about her identity as a transfeminine Italian-American, her journey toward finding a sense of belonging, and the leap of faith she took from a steady teaching job to the life of a freelance artist. We contemplated her capacity as an actor, money magic, and how to dream beyond our perceived limitations. Summer is strong, passionate, and effervescent, a true beacon of light and inspiration in our community. This is our conversation with Summer Minerva.
0: Summer, you're from Staten Island? I am, yes. I grew up on Staten Island. What was that experience? I feel like a lot of people know nothing about Staten mm-hmm. Island. Educate us. Very
2: that. Okay, well what I will say is that people who think they know about Staten Island know but they know from very very stereotypical media representations. So, for example, um there's a show that just came out. Um it's called Made on Staten Island and it's a reality TV show. That takes place on Staten Island. MTV is doing it and it follows the lives of four or five descendants of mafia people. And so the premise is that these five young people are like living on the streets or like living the street life in Staten Island and they're all Italian American and they're like Guido mobster types. And, yeah, that's a very kind of common idea of what Staten Island is like, that it's filled with Guido mafioso types, and that there's nothing else really here aside for like aside from like Trump voters <laughs> trump supporters
0: that's that's the, the cliche that's that that I've the heard. perception, yeah.
2: But actually um, Staten Island is an extremely diverse place. I grew up on the northwest part of Staten Island in a neighborhood called Graniteville, which was very, very diverse, very multicultural. Um, My best friends growing up were newly arrived immigrants or second generation immigrants from Africa, um, from Nigeria specifically. Um, India, I had a best friend who was half black, half Jewish, another friend who was um, German-American, Irish-American, Italian-American, and so what I will say is that it's a, it's a place that is very small and therefore has a very kind of small town feel, and within that, especially in the North Shore, there's a lot of really great uh, cultural diversity. It's just known as the forgotten borough because the infrastructure here doesn't really lend itself to the kind of, uh, I don't know. Exponential movement. growth. Yeah, exponential growth and movement around as some of the other boroughs in New York mm-hmm. City do. So, But I love Staten Island now more than ever. I used to really hate it and run away from it because... Whatever. She as wanted be to, in as a city. we tend to do, she was a do, city yeah. girl. She was a city girl. She went to her marching band on the weekends <laughs> in high school. <laughs> but I just always wanted to be around gay people and trans people and artists, and that was not part of my experience growing up on Staten Island. So right. I needed to leave for that.
1: Now,
3: however, and now it's things have changed. Well, it's that's the thing. Circle. I feel like, spe- especially when you're younger it always seems like that community that you're looking for in the queer realm is going to be in the city, like more in the heart of it than where you are. Mm -hmm. And then usually as we get older, we start to find out like, oh, there were some people like me, but we were a little hidden. We were all afraid. We were all in a different everyday experience to not wanna really showcase our true selves at the time.
2: And what I'm also thinking as we're talking, is that New York City is a place where gay people have come for, you know, at least 50 years, you know, to be a part of New York City and to be involved with the arts here and all that stuff. And so... Even within the LGBT world, there's so much diversity. And the artists, the people who are, quote unquote, just getting by as queer artists in this world, no longer can really afford to live in the places that were attracting us to New York in the first place. Right. Like places Mm. like Chelsea or the East
0: Village or Soho. But Bushwick's no better these days. Bushwick is no better these days. That's the thing. It's all, yeah, like everyone knows how. 15 years. I mean, right. you and I lived there 10 years ago. Meanwhile, rents out here on Staten Installed. Island are
1: low. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no hipness. There's no scene here. But meanwhile, like, we do have a scene here. Like, right. when we throw a party, it's like 20 queer people, all who live in Staten Island in our general vicinity. Like, we have a legit community here. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. And
2: it also feels that the pace is a little bit different when I'm at a party here, Mm -hmm. if people are actually at the party as, as the destination uh-huh. and mm-hmm. there's no itching to figure out where we're going next or right. what's the next bar or who's coming or this and that. It's like, no, we've all made the decision. We're going to come to chill at this party with these people right. at this
1: time. And that's what it really is about. Very yeah, here, very, very present. present. And we have plenty of food, here. plenty of space to spread out, <laughs> plenty of booze. You know what I mean? Like everything you need. There's no like, oh, we have to go somewhere else to get some other need yeah. fulfilled. Yeah,
0: sort so of. I've
2: been enjoying that my Staten Island Renaissance. Yes, yeah. is, and this go around, and then
1: we've been loving having you Thank here. Thank you. Really exciting. Yay. yeah.
2: I've really I've gotten a lot of great stuff done already, just in my own art practice, and also I've just felt better. So describe your art practice and... precisely.
0: Precisely, precisely. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to ask.
2: Okay, so I am a. I guess I'm a multidisciplinary performance artist and writer Mm -hmm. and educator. Go on. (laughs) Um, I do a lot of work around identity. I think what really drives my art practice isn't really medium as much Mm -hmm. as it is theme. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like theme and the things that I am thinking about and feeling and wanting to understand about myself and about society. I come closer to through what I call performance or what I call art and so right now and over the past couple of years my focus has been on identity and my identity as a queer person as Italian American as someone from Staten Island Um, And also someone who is outside of identity. Like Mm -hmm. I like to think about myself as someone who is living within society's categories and society's labels, but also always remembering that we are more than that. And so my work, which, you know, is it could be dance, you know, it it always has some kind of um, acknowledgement of the light and the dark and the transcendence of the two and the transcendence of binary within, within human connection and spirituality. Yeah. Um, I'm working on a film about belonging and my search for it. Um, I've been going back and forth between New York and Napoli in Italy um, to find my grandmother's memories um, and find our ancestral um, lineage. And in that process discovered this third gender group in Napoli, that now I've started to create dances inspired by their devotional practices. Um, what, what is that third group? gender group called? It's the
1: Feminelli? Yeah, the Feminelli. Yes. Yes.
3: Love
2: that.
1: Yes. Can so, you describe it a little bit? Like, who is a Feminelli? How uh, do they become a Feminelli? Sure. Or what role do they play? Yeah. yeah. And so I'll also say that in my art practice,
2: like, I myself am the medium, kind of, Kind of like Marina, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Marina Bromovich. Yeah, yeah. We're, like she's my best friend. Like Marina. <laughs> like I'm just very good. Judies. Yeah, I'm very back. inspired by her work as a as a performer and as an artist because she herself is the is the canvas and is the conduit. You know, she right. herself is the is the product. Mm-hmm. And so, in order for me to understand what it means to be a feminello, I need to be in relationship with. Feminially, mm-hmm. and I need to, you know, be in community with feminially, and so for me, um, a feminello. If you were to ask like an anthropologist or whatever, mm-hmm. they would say that it's someone assigned male at birth right. that has the soul of a woman, mm-hmm. and they have played uh, an important role in the devotional practices in. Um, in naples and around naples and so uh, there are a lot of kind of like uh sacred and profound rituals that they're a part of that are loosely related to the catholic church but also mock the catholic church (laughs) so there's like a ritual every year called the filiata where a feminello um, gives birth um and usually they are dressed up in a very kind of exaggerated idea of what it means to be a woman Mm -hmm. or the feminine and they're giving birth to a huge brown phallus. Um, and yes, that's like a big celebration. Goodness. Another time, uh. another celebration that they do is the matrimonio, and they get married to the most eligible bachelor in their town. Mm. And they're like this fabulous bride, and they're going around on a horse carriage, and everyone is like honoring them and loving them. Um, and they they from my friend Cheeto, um, Cheetah. Chiro Cireta Cascina is like the number one most famous Feminiello, mm-hmm. who actually is like holding the tradition. And they talk about the Feminielli as a representation of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Like the same way that somebody from, you know, from Africa has darker skin in order to adapt to the sun. Like the Feminiello is the adaptation to this volcanic earth that is Naples and the Mediterranean region. Hmm. So the um, so so that, like, knowledge and that wisdom and that understanding of the relationship between gender identity and the blending of the masculine and the feminine as a direct outgrowth of something geographical is something that really resonates with me. And right. Is, and that's where I'm kind of going next with my art practice.
3: And how did you start to dive into that realm? Like, did you feel like, you were a part of this tribe before you even knew they existed. Um, it came out of
2: years of feeling totally ostracized from my culture, mm-hmm. from being a Staten Islander, um, being Italian American. I just never felt like I could fit in anywhere, mm-hmm. even within my queer communities. Right. Um, just being like, <clears throat> I don't. I don't really know what was driving this sense of always needing to run away, never feeling like I fit in, never feeling like I belonged anywhere. Um, I realized that after traveling to so many different countries looking for this thing that is belonging, that I needed to look closer mm-hmm. and look closer to myself and see, like, what's what's my heritage and is what I'm looking for encoded in that. Right. And so that's how my grandmother's stories became a part of this, because I started understanding my cultural context in a different way. I started understanding why I have this relationship with men that I date, or why I have this relationship to traveling. Mm -hmm. Because all these cultural um, environmental contexts were created before I was even born.
3: Right. So how has your family been? In this discovery, and you going to visit in Italy and see these things for yourself? Are they involved at all? Do they think about it? Do you guys talk about it?
2: You know, it's a slow process. Mm-hmm. I will say that. When I first started the project, no one really cared, honestly. From my opinion, maybe someone listening might say, no, that's not true. But hey, from my perspective, nobody cared that much because they didn't know what it was. Right. I couldn't explain it. I just knew that this was something I had to do. Now, two and a half years in, and we have somewhat of a rough cut of a short film and i do know how to dance the tamboriata which is the folk dance and i do have a relationship to my grandmother's sisters Mm -hmm. in italy Italy. so the stories that i have lived and that i'm living now are becoming more and more relevant because it's not a passing fad or a passing idea it's like no boo this is a project that's going on.
1: Right. This is real life. Everyday. And we'll change you yeah. forever, you know, and change yeah. your relationship to them. And yeah, it's all transforming, I think. Yeah. Are they open to change? To changing, you know, your pronoun signifiers, how they refer to you? Is it something they're open to? They just hold on to the old one out of habit? Or is it like a mm-hmm. resistance altogether to it? What's your take on it?
2: It's about how militant I feel uh-huh. that I can be and what are my priorities, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've, I come in and out of pronouns. Yeah. Sometimes I don't ever want to hear the word he again. Yeah. And other times I tolerate it. Sometimes I really, really need she, you know, and other times they works fine. You know, and so with my family, um, they rarely shame me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I don't really know what to say about that. I would not allow that from anyone else in my life. Uh I wouldn't allow that to happen again and again. Um, But with them. But with them. It's different. It is. It's kind of different. I don't know if I'm just
1: avoiding conflict. I don't really know. What is it, like, with the nephews? What's your significance? Are you just Summer to the nephews? Yeah. Are you Aunt Summer, Uncle Summer, Uncle Anthony? Like, what? Yeah, so my
2: birth name is Anthony. They call me, as embarrassing as this is, they call me Um. They call me Gunkle. And, <laughs> like, and I hate that. As in gay uncle. Yes, and that was, like, a name that like, was given to me, actually, without my consent. Yeah.
3: <laughs> mm. So it's, like, it's interesting to <laughs> yeah. have that dynamic. Yeah. And... Then, with the kids, yeah, eventually having the conversation with them, like, oh, actually, like that's something that you were told,
2: yeah, exactly, somewhat and
1: hurtful. Like that's gonna, gonna have to yeah. happen. That right. will yeah. have
2: to
3: happen. Right. It's
2: they're not. They're young. They're four and two. They're not ready to have that conversation right, right now. But what they need to understand is. I do like to use "gay" in a way that is like reminiscent of like the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, where everyone is just "gay" if you're not straight. Before "queer" was really a word that was in the in -hmm. the the conversation. I use "gay" now, but it's like coming full circle. Like I was gay, and then I was trans, and then I was what everything else—non-binary, non-conforming, trans femme. Mm -hmm. Trans femme is kind of where I'm at now. But now gay is something that actually feels very uniting. Like, oh, yeah, we're gay. Like, we're the gay girls. Like, yeah. It's cute. It's fun yes. for me. Right. But my only qualm with being gunkle is uh-huh. that my sister's sister-in-law's husband. So my brother-in-law's sister's husband. He gets to be funkle. Fun uncle, fun uncle, and I get to be the gay one. I'm like, I don't, I don't really, I'm not here for that.
3: Yeah, yeah which <laughs> we all know when it comes down to it, it's like the queer family member is usually the most fun. Mm-hmm. Like we all have that that aunt or cousin or whomever who it's like, oh, there's something different about
1: <laughs> you. And also, that's it's like should be fun. up to the kids to make the determination who's the most fun. The, like this can't be predetermined by the adult. I think they're. They're catching wind. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Of that. Okay, so there's the documentary. truth That is in process, been in process a couple years with money from the Staten Island Arts Council. That's true. Hey, thank you,
0: Staten Island Arts Council. Thank you. What do you want audiences to extract from it when it comes out? Hmm. Well,
2: that's to be determined. Um. Right now, I would say that the message that I have uncovered through this life project and this life journey is that we can belong if we want to belong. We don't have to wait for someone else to make us feel that we belong somewhere. Um, We don't have to wait for other people's permission to take up space. Like it comes from within. Yeah. Yeah. And I realized that I was running away from parts of myself that people in my life brought out of me. Um, I wasn't... There was a part of me that was curious and generally wanted to see the world and wanted to go to all these different places. But there was a part of me that I knew that, oh, this person in my life is bringing out a lot of pain. So I'm going to run away, I'm going to go travel, I'm going to just... Be elsewhere. Be be elsewhere and kind of try to forget about it. Mm -hmm. But after doing that throughout my 20s, every year going somewhere else for months on end, and the pain is still there. Right. So... Just being
3: masked in a new experience. Right.
2: It's it's like, I realized, no, there's stuff that I'm not dealing with, with the people in my life that matter the most, that are the closest to me, so... After years of also doing, like, a lot of transcendent spirituality, a lot of meditating, chanting, witchcraft, yoga, breath work, all these things to not feel and not address real-life
1: mm. things,
2: mm-hmm. I realized I'm going to use my spirituality to actually heal my physical realm mm-hmm. instead of trying to transcend it.
3: Yeah. yeah. I like that. I yeah. feel like that is definitely something that a lot of young queer people feel and feel this need to run away from those close sources that may have like the judgmental words or i or what have you Mm -hmm. and then we end up at a certain point in time in our life where it's just like oh now i've missed out on all this time with these people and didn't address it and now it's like something that we have to rebuild and rediscover so much of what we want as
2: human beings is intimacy we want to be close to each other we want to feel love and we want to experience love and so Mm -hmm. often um in my case when conflicts would arise in my close relationships it felt like it would challenge my intimacy with them and so i would want to run away from them right specifically with my family and even close friends something would come up that they did that I wouldn't like, and I didn't have the tools or the strength to address it and feel that we were going to come out on the other side of that conflict closer. I always felt like conflict was a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me, like, basically my whole life, only now in the past year or two years since I've been working on this film project, do I realize relationships really, really become stronger when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable yeah, and share what's going
3: on for us. Exactly, because it's one of the deepest forms of intimacy, mm-hmm. like being vulnerable, being passionate, and being able to showcase that to someone without all of the fear that we have of being judged in that moment yes. or anything like that. That's what builds the deepest relationships and friendships that we have. Mm-hmm.
1: I think... The reason why it's so easy for queer people to run away from those difficult um, relationships and into ones where maybe drugs are the common the common theme, the common bond, the thing that's drawing the people together is because the drugs take the judgment away. The inner, um, you know...
3: The, the inner saboteur. Back,
1: the- the, the, yeah, exactly. It silences all these other voices and creates this, like, false reality where... We're all just connected, we're all having the best times of our entire life, but it's all just sort of a lie. Well,
2: from a belonging perspective, I remember when I really got into smoking marijuana when I was in college at the University of Miami. um, I never really had a loyal group of friends growing up. I was always a little bit on the outside looking in. At least that's how I felt. And when I went to the University of Miami, there was a huge hippie stoner contingent. And every night there would be a group of people sitting Mm -hmm. around the lake. We had this beautiful lake called Lake Osceola, and Mm -hmm. there would be these flying fish that would jump out of the lake throughout the night. And so I knew that every night there would be a group of people smoking, getting stoned, just in a circle, passing around pipes and blunts and all that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And actually it was really this experience of smoking marijuana with these people that some of them I knew some of them I didn't that I really felt like wow I belong in something right so there was something about that like that passing of the peace pipe and being like we're just all together we're uniting around pot I guess but Probably something deeper.
1: Yeah. Counterculture. It's right. sort of like yeah. seeing through the lies that were fed. I yeah. remember that being a big part of when I was first getting into that type of stuff. Yeah. Like that's other people who see the bullshit in the everyday mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. grind mm-hmm. and just want to create a an alternative, you know, a new set of rules. Mm-hmm. Like but it can be taken too far, right? Like some of these substances are more right soft more allowing yeah. some of them are I can speak extremely to that. Evil. <laughs>
0: I, I certainly um found my community and found acceptance through marijuana I mean even in high school I would be ostracized for I wasn't out but like you know people would call me out for being gay and I always found a way to convince them that I wasn't gay, but like use marijuana as like, oh, don't you smoke weed? Like we should smoke weed. And then like over weed smoking, like you'll see that I'm not gay, you know, and and I can go deeper into the closet from that. And then in college, you know, I was able to use weed uh, for all you know, all kinds of connections. Um, uh, And it's where I made my friends from selling it to, you know, and having people come to the house for that purpose and feel accepted uh, through the, the, um, through the sharing of customer friendship. Absolutely. But you know, like the power dynamic, the passing around of the peace pipe changed to a different type of pipe eventually. And, and that was, you know, my, my whole year of smoking meth was all about, feeling accepted in a gay community for the first time. I never felt um, like I fit in with the straights or the gays. Yeah. But when I was smoking meth, it was like easy peasy. I've never felt as gay as I did when I was
1: doing (laughs) meth. Well, hopefully you can hold on to that. Like now that we don't have the meth, you can still be in touch with your gays. You just allow
0: it. Working on that in therapy. Yeah.
3: I feel like that's that's one of the weird things that comes from our experiences after using drugs realizing how like it was a means to feel connected to others but like it could have happened in any way Mm -hmm. and it's more so of a conversation that we have to have with ourselves in regards to like letting ourselves allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and put ourselves out there because it's hard like we, especially yeah. with no substance in you. That's why they say when you go out, everybody has a drink in their hand because it's like it feels weird not to. You like need the le- liquid courage or whatever. And a have cigarette
1: you. in the other hand.
3: Yeah. No, man. I'm not here for that. But like it's but people are here doing it. You know, it's like the thing. And it's more social. Um
2: And, you know, the drink often becomes the reason. Oh, I'm drunk, so that's why I'm. Right, I'm drunk, so I'm allowed to. Right, so I'm connecting with you. And the reason for a connection is something that I've actually had to think about a lot with my film Mm -hmm. because sometimes I would be having an emotional moment about something that did not seem necessarily related to the content of the film. And I would have my videographer take out the camera and shoot me talking sometimes with him about our relationship, even, Mm -hmm. and revealing things about myself and about my inner world in a way that I never would have otherwise because I gave myself a very legitimate reason. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm making a film about belonging and the human experience, and so this, I told myself, is going to be part of it. This has to be part of it. Are we using that footage? Probably right. not. But in the moment, it gave me the reason to say things to this person in particular about what I was experiencing. Right. The reason, the the rationale.
3: Exactly. The well, and that's the that's the trick we play on ourselves day in and day out, where we need a reason to do something instead of it it being what's in us, like that being the driving force, right. that being the reason, right. instead of all of the roads that we drive down to get to the point. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Mm. So beyond the documentary, what else are you working on?
2: Okay. Well, I have two, um, two kind of side parallel projects. One is one that I've been working on also for about two years. It's, uh, I guess I'm a, a historian and researcher and, um, interpreter of Sylvia Rivera's legacy and as someone who actually really resembles Sylvia, which is how this whole thing started. I started looking at photos from the um from the gay rights movement and I started looking at pictures of her and I was like, Wow, like we have a lot of similar physical features and we seem to have a very similar gender thing going on. Mm -hmm. And I became very interested in her and I started watching every interview ever done about her and listening to all the the podcasts that her voice is featured on. And I started reading about her. Excuse me. And I started memorizing her speeches and then I was performing her speech at my acting class. And then I was performing it at Stonewall national park for when they raised the transgender flag. Sylvia Rivera was an activist. Yes. Sylvia Rivera. is a Stonewall veteran. She was at the night of the Stonewall uprising and she is basically the foremother of the LGBT rights movement. And she fought tirelessly for people of color, uh, impoverished people, people who were historically left behind.
3: Oh, the disenfranchised. Right.
2: In the the light of the mainstream gay movement. So all the people Mm. that the mainstream gay movement, which tended to be very white and middle class, all the people that were not represented by that movement, she took care of. She was the voice for. So I'm working on her as a character. I'm performing um, a monologue that was written, inspired by her her speech, one of her speeches at La Mama in the beginning of June as part of their Stonewall 50 um, celebration for the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion.
3: That's amazing.
2: That's going to be amazing. That, that's this year. That's this year. The piece is called Global Gay. Global, global,
1: gay, gay. and then I'm
2: doing something at the New York Historical Society on the first and the second of June, and then the 29th of June also. I'll be walking around as Sylvia, um, delivering a monologue as her, and then answering questions in
3: character. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be really cool. Just <laughs> because with yeah. all of the information that you have on. Mm-hmm her legacy, mm-hmm. being able to put that into like a live art piece for others to experience is going to be really powerful. Yeah.
0: Pedestrian yeah. art. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. bring it to the streets. That's fantastic. Yeah. Anybody's involved if they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this project really
2: represents me as an artist because of the amount of research that's involved. I mm-hmm. really am an intellectual and a, a researcher and I like learning And so for me to feel that my genuine curiosity about her and her life and her legacy is now going to play a role, a strong role in the performance and the work that I'm doing feels really
3: representative of me. So I have is, a lot of work to do. But <laughs> Is this what you imagined you would be doing at 17, 18? Is this how you imagined your life would be? I wish you could see my face right now,
2: everybody, because I'm going like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> when I was 17, I was doing theater in high school, but I was so not confident with my gender. Mm-hmm. Although I've said this to people who I went to high school with and they were like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't know that. I didn't think that. I didn't see that. And I was like, girl, that's what was going on for me. Right. That's the thing. It's like your
3: internal conflict is nine times out of (laughs) ten something others can't see. Right. (laughs) They're like, well, you seem so confident. Like, no, bitch. I did
2: not want to be on the stage because I did not. I could not play a male role. And I did not think that it could be possible that I would be able to play a women's role. So instead, the only role I ever did was two roles in high school. I did Pinocchio, who's very gender whatever, yeah, gender right. liminal. Right. And then I played the teen angel in Greece, which also is pretty faggoty.
1: Right.
2: You know? <laughs> um, right. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I I was one of those kids where every day it was like a different, it was a different thing. I'd be like, okay, I want to be an astronaut today. Uh The next day I was a lawyer. The next day I was a hairdresser.
1: Uh You know, the next day I was like. So when did you land on performance artist? I don't think that I did. Yeah. (laughs) When did (laughs) you start performing? When did you start going to acting class?
2: Um, I started taking acting classes, like, three or four years ago, but that was after five years of West African dance.
1: Mm-hmm. I did West
2: African dance, Afro-Cuban, Afro-Brazilian dance for, like, five years, and then I was like, there's something else that I need to explore, and that's where the acting That's an under interesting
3: we were step into that, that direction.
1: <laughs> that's when you are teaching. Know. I want to talk about this leap from, uh, yeah. like, a, whatever, a nine-to-five yeah. Uh, to... yeah um, Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. world traveler. You
0: were doing a nine to five, which was teaching. I was Teac- a your
2: teacher. Te- okay, I was a I was a special education teacher for elementary school children for six years,
1: mm-hmm. and that's while you were also studying West African dance. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: I needed to, like, once I left the classroom, I just needed to just, like, take up space and be primal. Which
0: is literally what African dance is. Like, taking up as much space as possible. (laughs) It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if anybody doesn't know what it looks like, YouTube it. It's gorgeous.
2: Yeah. And to be clear, there are many different West African dance forms. The ones that I was doing were really from, like, um, Senegal, like Sabar is the name of the main dance that I
1: was studying. Um, it's just so, that's beautiful. awesome. But let's talk about mm-hmm. like, when, when did you realize you needed to leave your job? How did you uh-huh. allow yourself to come to terms with that decision? Like, yeah,
2: I woke up every day and did not want to do what I had to do Yeah, every day. And I felt so subject to my environment. I was so young. I was, between the ages of 21 26, responsible for up to 26 children. Um, I had a lot of responsibility on me and none of the resources to be able to take care of myself in mm. the process. And so I was just basically like... I think I inspired a lot of kids and I think I really helped a lot of families. And I think I really became an amazing artist because of those experiences. And so I would not erase any day, anything that happened. That's amazing. Yeah. But I knew that I needed to be on a different vibration. I was on a different vibration. I was on a different orbit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I was on, it felt like I was on Jupiter and yeah. you know, the way that Jupiter has a very big, slow orbit. Right. And I was, like, on Mercury. And I needed to be, like, going quickly and doing things and being 22 and 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And I needed to be out there staying out late and fucking and, <laughs> and getting on stage and doing weird shit and, mm-hmm. and doing reckless stuff, which I did in the summers. But I felt in having to provide for families and for children all the time, that I actually felt very lonely. Because I did not have children. I was not involved in raising children. That really wasn't my passion. I was supposed to be doing high school, and I couldn't get a high school teaching job, probably because of my gender mm. and my race also. Like, who's... who? What What? I don't know. Like, I would go on interviews and... The last interview that I went on was with this woman. This was the day before school was supposed to start. This woman was totally unqualified. She didn't know anything about she. I mean, we did the training together to become teachers, but we sat in the interview and it came down to it that she got the job over me. And when she started on the very first day, she was told that she got the job because she knew less than me. I don't understand. Because they wanted someone that they could influence and they wanted someone that they could control. Uh So that's why they hired this woman. Interesting. And so there's all these like weird politics in it. And, you know, and when it comes down to it, like as, as someone who grew up like queer, right, if I would have had a queer teacher early on, then I I would have known what the possibilities were for my life. Right. The same way we need to see ourselves in our teachers and our mentors. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I could have been a helpful mentor for, for like, you know, a Puerto Rican child, Puerto Rican gay child, or a black gay child in the South Bronx, but ultimately if, like, how you look is going to make a child come closer to you, then... That's who should get it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In that way. So that being said, I, I just knew that after like five years of trying to like make my way in this kind of pretty good job, you know, if you're a teacher, you only work 180 days out of the year, you have your summers off, it's paid in the summer. I just realized like, there's gotta be more than this because
3: I couldn't handle, couldn't handle that. Yeah. So, leaving from that, what was your dream project? What was it that you wanted to achieve? I really, I wanted to travel and perform. I really
2: did that. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I can, I can dream bigger. And yeah. More specifically, um, what do I want to do?
1: Hey, what's next after the documentary? Yeah. Once the documentary the can, is over. In the festivals. I would
2: love to, um, I would love to have a starring role in in a feature film, Mm. you know, where I get to, I don't, I feel, okay, I feel that what I want to do is, bigger than what I can imagine or perceive right now. Like, I think it's so fascinating and so specific that my mind itself hasn't yet caught wind of what it could be. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to make movies. I want to, I want to act in movies. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I want to, um, I want to write a book, you know, I want to tour with my book. I want to, speak about my experiences of searching for belonging. And I want to really inspire people. Yeah. I want I want to inspire people, and I want to really love the world through my art.
0: Now, you spoke about being in high school, not feeling comfortable playing a female role nor a male role, but now you've come into your own um, explored gender um feel confident where you are in terms of your gender identity, but also more as an, confident as an actor, would you feel comfortable now taking on the role um, of a, a typical male, being cast as a typical male? Would that be comfortable for you?
2: Yeah, it would be comfortable because I don't really think that anybody is typical, you know? Good answer. Yeah. You know, finding the ways that, you know... The ways that we are all humans outside of the labels is what, to me, builds empathy in working in character. You know, I could. Yeah, I mean, it would have to depend on the personality of this particular male, but I don't think that any actor should play any role. I don't I just don't think that that would work.
3: yeah. Know? Uh, you would take on that role if it felt, yeah, right. If it felt like a story that you wanted to help yeah. tell,
1: yeah. But what about these straight actors, like big famous Hollywood actors, yeah. who get cast as maybe like a trans woman or something that is so far from their reality? Like, could you not see yourself doing the vice versa? Yeah, playing, you know, yeah, like if it uh, was somebody um, just a different skin, like a toxic male, right? Yeah. I would do it. Yeah, I have, I have toxic
2: masculinity. Right, we all do. I mean, yeah, it's something that's been taught to us
3: since we were born. We
2: all can. We yeah. can all tune into the vibration of violence or the vibration of aggression, and then the text, you know, the text of you know of the film or of the project is what we layer on top of the feeling that we all have as humans. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I I can be violent. <laughs> um, I can be aggressive. That's those are not my default modes of operating in the world. But if if that's what I get to experience in my acting work, what a gift! What a gift to have a place to put that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what. Who are some like historical male figures that I would want to play, and none are really coming to me right now. But I mean, probably like a cool like musician of some kind could be <laughs> fun. You know, like a Jim Morrison. Mm, or, um,
1: yeah,
2: I I would definitely play Jim Morrison. That. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally.
0: Um. So yeah, I don't know. Cool. That's. how do you balance being a performance artist (laughs) Jesus yeah I would play Jesus Uh, you'd be a fine dude the most modern Jesus Mm -hmm. thank you I'm wondering how you balance being a performance artist uh, filmmaker and make enough money to survive Mm. it's not a
2: formula I will say that it can vary from week to week so I am a tutor I work as a learning specialist um, for three middle school boys. Um, We have hourly sessions, so that gives me a pretty okay hourly rate. And then I also teach a college writing course, which is once a week. And sometimes I make money through my performances. I also recently started teaching at the Generations Project, which is LGBTQ intergenerational storytelling. So I just finished my first workshop as a co-facilitator, which gave me a little chunk of change. And now next time I'm going to be a lead facilitator, which is like, you know, 150% of the original co-facilitator rate. Nice. So I'm going to be making, okay, these things are projects, you know, pretty much. Like, they're not regular.
0: Yeah, one-offs.
2: But it's okay. I think there's some, like, financial magic that I'm, like, catching wind of. That's what I got about
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> right, being able race. to
2: pull
3: it in as,
2: as you need. Just like trusting that, like, money is kind of like water,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, um, not like holding on to it too tight because there's always more, we need to have a nice flow right. of it, consistent flow. Yeah, I think I was reading something about um, feng shui, and they were saying having fountains in your house actually brings wealth. Um, but then I was also reading some book about like integrative nutrition, and it said. In that book, that drinking a lot of water, actually is, like, something that in Chinese medicine they talk about doing when you need more money.
3: Okay. Because
2: it 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 kind of creates a, a different flow of energy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, there's not this idea of scarcity. Yeah, abundance. Right. Which makes sense to me. Like, even in this conversation, I'm like, oh, well, these are my ideas, but... Like, is this the most interesting thing that I'm ever gonna have to say ever in my life? Like, like maybe after this podcast, I don't have anything interesting to say anymore
3: because this is all I have, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but
2: that's ridiculous. But it's not.
3: We're not so finite. Like, yeah, we're, we're constantly regenerating. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: it's just a, it's just a, a, scarcity mentality that I have to check with myself when we feel like we don't have enough. We don't have enough. That is totally just a perspective that we can shift. Exactly. Mm -hmm. By having gratitude, by by noticing the ways that we are very abundant.
1: Yeah. I relate to that. I've been feeling like time has been a very scarce resource, but it's like you... Anxiety, just not breathing, can sabotage the free time you do have. Mm -hmm. And so realizing that being grateful for that time when it's there being present with it allows me to actually like take advantage of it, utilize it instead of just like use it wallowing and not let it slip through my fingers because it feels like there's not enough of it. Meanwhile, creating even less. Also, it makes me think about
2: priorities, you know, and sometimes we just have priorities and we have to, we do have a finite amount of time. We don't have Mm -hmm. time for everything in a day. Right. And so how do we prioritize you know, things and that's that's something that comes with being of a certain age. Right. You know, now that we're in our teens. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: no, now that I'm thirty-one, I have something I'm realizing now. It's like, you know, certain things are always gonna be around and some things are very time sensitive. Right. And being aware of what those things are and what matters.
0: Mm. What would you so go back and tell the 18 or 20-year-old yourself?
3: Hmm. Mm. Mm.
2: Uh, I would tell myself to... I wrote this down yesterday. Um... Don't... Oh fuck. Um okay we can edit yeah waiting yeah, yeah yeah there was something <laughs> that I, I literally wrote it down yesterday it was like don't feel oh don't wait for other people to give you permission don't be afraid to be different don't be afraid to climb your own path don't be afraid to do things on your own
3: yeah, yeah. literal like <laughs> the things that I feel like every one of us would tell our younger selves because that's the thing you grow up with so much fear of being Mm -hmm. yourself that when you're a really little kid is so present that you can just be you and we start to have those experiences where we were told no or Mm -hmm. we were made fun of or whatever it was that happened that made us kind of hide certain aspects of ourselves and that advice, I feel like, is sound for anyone who's listening today yeah. who may be at that age right now.
1: I still need to hear it now. Oh, Turning 31 in a couple weeks. like I wrote it yesterday for I myself. I am so scared. I know I want to make this leap of faith, but it is so scary. And especially now, I have so much invested into a certain, I don't know, career path, lifestyle that I'm kind of wanting to veer away from. Yeah. But like, it's possible. Like, you can do it. You can be whoever you want to be. Like, yeah, it's true. And we don't
2: know what steps are down the road, but sometimes our internal feedback is so urgent. We just have to honor it. Mm -hmm. Because this is how people get sick. You know, yeah. depression is like non-expression. Right. And if you're constantly stifled and stifled and stifled, you're not expressing, you're not emoting, you're not being who you really are. Yeah. Like that becomes, that becomes sickness. Right. It doesn't feel good. Um, I didn't know that when I left the, the teaching profession that I would be doing all these amazing things that I'm doing. I had no idea. Um... I do miss the security of it, right. you know, having that that 24 or that 12-month-a-year paycheck and only working half the year. Um, but at the end of the day, I still choose this. I right. choose this 100%. And sky's the limit <laughs> because we really don't know the possibilities of
0: our lives. Right. We
2: really, really don't. Right.
0: So when your documentary is done, where are you gonna, are you gonna be sending it around to festivals? Oh yeah, we we're
2: going big. So the reason why it's
0: taking so long is
2: because we keep on gaining more and more momentum. We keep on raising the bar. I started shooting on an iPhone, back at the beginning of 2017, and. I didn't ever make a film before. I was kind of like hanging out with this guy who was like, and I was talking about this sacred link between gender and spirituality and how all these different cultures around the world viewed gender transgression as this sacred initiation into some kind of spirituality or worship or goddess veneration or healing or something. He's like, you should make a documentary. And I was like, okay, never did anything with a film ever. (laughs) And then, Nine months later, I met an actual documentarian, an actual videographer, and that raised the bar. Then I started going to Italy, we started shooting in Italy. Then I went back to Italy. Then we got our our handle on, well, what is this film actually about? that's where we're at now, after having 45 hours of footage, we're like, oh, wait, this is going to be next level. Mm -hmm. So now when we take it to the next level, we're calling in Tribeca Film Festival for their, you know, we're submitting applications for their grant programs, we're submitting to Sundance for their documentary programs, Catapult Film, um, you know, Fork Films, all, we're, we're just going next level with it, so... We want, to be, we want to be at all the major festivals.
0: Do you have a name for it?
2: Yes. Our film is called State Dinto, Summer Within. State Dinto means summer within, but in Neapolitan dialect. It comes from an adage, which is State Dinto Vierna fora, which means summer inside, winter outside. It's kind of like a spell
0: awesome so yeah you'll yeah. have to update us and, Yeah, um, I'm sure this uh, podcast will be out you know obviously way before your film is but yeah. whenever it is somewhere that people can go see it you'll have yeah. to let us know so we can yeah. introduce that bit of information uh, the beginning of the episode from that week so yes. people can get out there and yes. see it yes yes,
3: yeah. yes 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 Yes. and we'd love to have you back
2: oh
0: yes.
1: to be back, maybe yeah yeah I'll be calling another. in from the can
0: from the can <laughs> uh-huh. All right.
2: I want to close. If we're going to end, I need to say something. Okay. Yeah. I need to say this to everybody and everyone in this room right now. The possibilities are endless. You know what I mean? Like, they, the sky is literally the limit. So, whatever you're dreaming, whatever your wishes are, whatever your goals are, you know, they are all possible. Right. Don't
3: put a cap on it. No. Like, let it erupt however it does. Yes. I love that.
1: Thank you.
3: (laughs) Ending with a little spell. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.